Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Have you ever stood on the outside looking in? I've often felt this way. I was the youngest by six years, so I was never part of the Big Sisters Club. I was awkward with poor vision, so I was often the last pick for athletic teams. I couldn't carry a tune in a bucket, still can't, so I was never invited to sing in the choir. My dad was a small-town pastor and missionary to the First Nations people of northern Manitoba, and that was also definitely a strike against me in school. I did not fit in with anyone. Every step of the way, I felt like a kid with her nose pressed up against the window, peering inside at a cozy scene where everyone was together, smiling and belonging to each other. I wasn't part of that. I was outside, shivering. I know I reinforced that belief system over the years. I would still tell you I'm not one of the cool kids. I'm an imposter. And as soon as someone in authority figures out that I'm a sham, I'll be exposed, laughed at, kicked out. Who knows, that might even be today after this sermon. You don't belong. You're not one of us. Or maybe, maybe the emperor has no clothes. But what if the problem is considerably deeper than that? What if the root is not just a little casual insecurity, but Satan himself? Because let's face it, if we feel like an outsider, like we're only pretending, then we're rendered completely ineffective in God's kingdom, which is right where the deceiver wants us to be, feeble and neutralized. The visual picture of myself that I grew up with is absolutely not scriptural. I'm not on the outside looking in. I'm not even a wallflower, someone who's inside but still on the fringes watching everyone else have all the fun. I'm at the center, right where I am well-loved, right where I have a God-given purpose that's for me alone. I'm right where I belong. When Pastor Tom asked me to speak on Romans 8, 14 through 17, I jumped at the chance, quite honestly, to share God's design for us as mature kids, living from the center of our identity in him. Not as outsiders shivering in the cold, or even as a bench warmer, watching wistfully from the sidelines as the real athletes get to play, but in the very, very middle of God's family. The center, the heart. I've been following the Bible in One Year with Nikki Gumbel uh, on the YouVersion app this year. You may remember that Nikki is the developer of the Alpha program that we have used in this church numerous times. On the July day when Romans 8 was part of the reading, Nikki said this, 
If Romans is the Himalayas of the New Testament, then Romans 8 is its Mount Everest. And its summit is these verses right here, where Paul describes how those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. So it is truly an honor to delve into these four verses with you today. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless our time together today. I pray that as we read your word and consider what it means to us, that your spirit would confirm your truth in our hearts. Lord, we want to live from the center, fully aligned with you and your purposes. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read today's text, Romans eight fourteen through 17, from the Passion Translation. I don't know about you, but I enjoy mixing it up a bit. And I'm constantly switching translations. It helps me approach scripture from just a slightly different angle. And different things kind of pop out at me when I do it that way. Ready? Here we go. Romans 8, starting at verse 14. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are the heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has we will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. These verses point out three distinct characteristics of God's mature kids. The first one is that mature children of God are set free from religious duty. Verses 14 and 15a again. The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit, and you did not receive the, the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. In the years between Israel's escape from Egypt and their entrance to the promised land, God went before them in a pillar by, of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now... After Jesus' resurrection and the gift of the Holy Spirit, it is the Spirit's job to lead and guide us from within, not from without. Notice that we are moved by impulses. We are not puppies being dragged around on a leash to places we don't want to go. And we're not cattle being driven into a corral with an electric goad. Instead, there is a gentle nudging which we can ignore. But then, perhaps, we are not the mature children of God, as noted in the text. Immature children don't heed their parents' instruction. They might touch a hot stove. They might run headlong into the lake. They might dart out into traffic. 
A parent's job is to steer and guide their children to make good choices for their own safety and, well, longevity. As parents, we don't want our kids to obey simply because we told them to. Oh, we might say we want that, but that's really only for very small children, right? And as they grow older, we slowly teach them to make wise choices on their own. And then, then we celebrate with them as they choose to look both ways before crossing the street, as they choose to do their chores or their homework before running out to play, and when they question their friends' plans to do something stupid or possibly illegal. We don't want to inflict on our children the spirit of obedient duty. Neither does God want to inflict that on us. Why? Because if we, or our children, depend on perfect obedience to be good enough to be part of this family, we will absolutely fail. Romans 3.23 tells us clearly that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And if that's true on the spiritual plane, it's equally true on the familial plane. Our kids can never satisfy us with perfect obedience, just as we did not perfectly obey our own parents. If we depend on perfect obedience, where will we be? We'll have the fear of never being good enough, as mentioned in the text. We'll live in fear of slipping up and not living in the freedom that we were designed for. If the only way you can enter the family photo instead of standing outside in the cold, peering in the window, is by deserving it because you were perfectly obedient, then you're going to be standing outside in the cold for a very, very long time, probably until you freeze to death. God's design is not based on perfection or merit or how deserving we are of good things. We know that perfect obedience is not the pathway to acceptance into our earthly families, and it's also not the way to acceptance into our heavenly family. If you're new to faith or just exploring it for the first time, please hear this foundational truth. The Bible teaches that on our own, we will never be good enough for God. It's simply not even possible. The only way we can be acceptable is to accept Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Jesus was and is perfect, and he created the means by which we can be reconciled to his Father. Today's text says, The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And the first impulse of the Spirit in our lives is to show us that we cannot gain salvation by being good enough on our own. Once we've recognized this, learned this simple, profound truth, we're open to more spirit nudges to grow in that knowledge. So the first characteristic of God's mature kids is that we are set free from religious duty. The second characteristic from this passage is that mature children of God are fully accepted. So let's look at verses 15 and 16 again. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, 
our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father, for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, You are God's beloved child. Remember that feeling that I led off with, the one where we're on the outside looking in. In these verses, Paul squashes that false identity in a definitive manner. He speaks of full acceptance into God's family. The NIV translates this this as, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Back in the days when Paul was writing this letter to the Roman church, in Roman culture, an heir was chosen in one of two ways. The father, because this was a patriarchal society, remember, would either choose one of his own sons to be his heir, or he could adopt a son who would take his name and make that son his heir. So God has only one begotten son, or natural son, and that's Jesus. But he has many, many adopted sons and daughters. The past couple of weeks, Pastor Tom has talked about the earlier verses in Romans chapter 8, and he's clearly shared how we can become children of God through accepting Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. If you missed those messages, you can catch them on our website, ericksoncovenant.ca, or on um, YouTube, on the church's channel on YouTube. And here in verses 15 and 16, Paul is building on that foundation as though it's already a done deal, because, in fact, it is. He's explaining what that fact actually means in our day-to-day life. We have been adopted into God's family. There is no status in the world that can compare to the privilege of being a child of the creator of the universe. We all hear these voices whispering inside of us. You're an imposter. You don't belong. Verse 14, we also heard whispers of, you need to work harder, and you're still not good enough. But in verse 15, we hear a different voice, a new voice. The Spirit of God whispers, You're fully accepted. You've been adopted into the family of God. You'll never feel orphaned. And you are God's beloved child. As we shun the false lying messages and truly tune into the Spirit of God's message, our spirits Join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. Many translations use the term Abba Father in verse 15. I've heard it said that Abba is simply the personalized Aramaic term for father. Basically, Daddy. It intimates a very personal relationship, that of a a child with a beloved parent. So I hit Google. Does Abba mean Daddy? And I got some interesting results. Apparently, that definition is not a slam dunk. In the Journal of Theological Studies, James Barr says, It is fair to say that Abba, in Jesus' time, belonged to a familiar or colloquial register of language, as distinct from more formal or ceremonious language. But in any case, it was not a childish expression comparable with daddy. It was a more solemn, responsible expression adult address to a father. 
In a YouTube video, John Fenn breaks down the three usages of Abba in the New Testament. Mark 14.36 is the only time Jesus used the word. This is his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest. Abba, Father, everything is possible to you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he didn't say, Our Abba Father who is in heaven. It simply says, Our Father. So it isn't necessarily a term we must use to address God in our prayers. Paul and Peter and James and John wrote epistles in which they included prayers, but they did not start their prayers with, Dear Abba Father. For instance, in Ephesians 1.17, Paul says, I pray God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The other two usages of the term Abba in the New Testament are found in Romans 8.15, which is where we are right now, and Galatians 4.6, which was read earlier. In both cases, Paul is contrasting being slaves under the Mosaic law and being adopted into God's family so that our spirits cry out, Abba, Father. There is apparently no direct translation of Abba into English. Concordances call it a term of endearment or a term of closeness. The Talmud is a compilation of Jewish rabbinical teachings. When the word Abba is used in these ancient writings, it speaks of respected elders. In the New Testament, Abba is always linked with Father. Taking all this together leads me to believe the word does not imply a childish attitude, but a respectful way to honor one's father with a special term of relationship and respect. Adult Jewish children would still refer to their father as Abba, so it's more like dad than daddy, and it's definitely not, hey you, pops. John Fenn says he believes Paul uses the term Abba father together so we don't get too familiar in addressing God. God is, well, God, and we really are not. He's worthy of worship and honor. John believes the correct translation would be dearest father, or most precious father, or my beloved father. Abba embodies all that a loving father is while maintaining reverence and respect. Interestingly, the Passion Translation does use the term beloved father, not the more common Abba father. But doesn't that wording seem appropriate for someone who was in bondage and never being good enough? For someone who was on the outside looking in and is now on the inside? Now we're adopted by a new father, One one who has fully accepted us into the center of his life, in new life. No wonder our spirits can and do cry out, Oh, precious Father! It is a true heart's response to the wonder of our adoption in Christ. Don't we take that for granted? We've been taught that God is our Father because it's used so often through the New Testament, both from Jesus and from the other writers as well. This wasn't true under the Old Covenant. Moses and David and the apostles did not refer to God as their father. 
But God's son died so that we could be God's sons. This enables us to approach God in this way, not because we deserve it, because we don't. God is holy and perfect. We are not. And yet, Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 to pray to our Father who is in heaven and then says, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. God, the creator of the universe, looks at us, us outsiders, us wallflowers, us bench warmers, and invites us into a close relationship with him. He adopts us and brings us into his center, his inner circle. So far, we've talked about the first three verses of today's passage. Mature children of God are set free from religious duty. Mature children of God are fully accepted as God's beloved children. In verse 17, we learn what that adoption really means to us. Mature children of God are his heirs. Nikki Gumbel says, As children of God, we are heirs. The only difference is that we inherit not on the death of our father, but on our own death. You will enjoy an eternity of love with Jesus, verse 17 says in the message, and we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. Being adopted as a child of God comes with an inheritance. We experience some of that now while we're still walking this planet, and the rest will be fulfilled in eternity. Ephesians 1 tells us that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And in that chapter, Paul lists some of these blessings of being forgiven of our sins, of being made holy and blameless in him, of the riches of God's lavish grace, of wisdom and insight. Paul says we have obtained an inheritance in Christ that we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that seal guarantees our inheritance until we gain full possession of it. In the Passion Translation, 1 Peter 1, 3-6 says this, Celebrate with praises the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has shown us his extravagant mercy. For his fountain of mercy has given us a new life, we are reborn to experience a living, energetic hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are reborn into a perfect inheritance that can never perish, never be defiled, and never diminish. It is promised and preserved forever in the heavenly realm for you. Through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. May the thought of this cause you to jump for joy, says Peter. Being part of a family brings both responsibilities and privileges, right? Our adoption into God's family is no different. We have the privilege of being in a family and no longer running solo. We take God's name as our own. We gain forgiveness and inheritance and new relationships with other family members. We also have responsibilities. 
such as the responsibility to be like our Father. Luke 6 reminds us to be merciful, even as our Father is merciful. Matthew 5 tells us that peacemakers will be called the children of God. Ephesians 5 reminds us to love others like Christ loved us. Actually, Ephesians 5 expands on this topic quite a lot. It starts with, Be imitators of God in everything you do, for then you will represent your Father as his beloved sons and daughters. And then it goes on to explain ways in which we can be more like God. A couple of weeks ago, our son and daughter-in-law had a baby boy. Next came all those inevitable comparisons, right? Oh, he's got his daddy's nose. He's got his mommy's eyes. Except they're just talking about his daddy because he's the spitting image of our son as a baby. But as believers, we want people to say that about us. Wow, you sure take after your father. We don't want to give our father or our family a bad name. Let's have another look at verse 17. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined in Christ, joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. We are the true children of God. Going back to the previous verses, if we have the Spirit of God nudging us in our hearts and confirming this truth to us. So here we are, adopted children of God, ready to be his heirs. We share all his treasures. We inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will be glorified with him. But did you notice? There's something else that seems to be kind of a downside, honestly. We will experience all this, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. I'm not sure about you, but I'm not very fond of pain. In fact, I'm a total wuss over a stubbed toe. So the thought of actually suffering is something I shy away from. I prefer safety and protection. Thank you very much. What kind of suffering are we talking about here? Because I might want this merry-go-round to stop so that I can get off. Anyone there with me? But this isn't the only place in the New Testament where a harder, more challenging side is mentioned. In Luke 9, Jesus said to his followers, If you truly desire to be my disciple, you must disown your life completely, embrace my cross as your own, and surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice, giving up your lives for my glory, you will discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will lose what you try to keep. In 1 Timothy, Paul comments on the hardships he's endured, then says, For all who choose to live godly as worshippers of Jesus, the Anointed One, will also experience persecution. And in his first epistle, Peter says, Beloved friends, If life gets extremely difficult with many tests, don't be bewildered as though something strange were overwhelming you. Instead, continue to rejoice, for you, in a measure, have shared in the sufferings of the Anointed One. 
so that you can share in the revelation of his glory and celebrate with even greater gladness. It seems clear that this is a case for no pain, no gain. And this is a topic Pastor Tom will delve into, I'm sure, over the next few weeks as he carries on in Romans 8, since the very next verse goes on to say, I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled in us. For today, then, simply remember that with the status we've gained as adopted sons and daughters of Abba Father, our beloved precious Father, we also will have struggles. Reprimands, stubbed toes, and growing pains are part of maturing as humans. They also mature us as children of God. And isn't that the goal? Mature children of God aren't infants anymore, protected against every temperature change, every hunger pang, every slurp of a puppy's tongue. When we learn to walk, we fall often. When we learn to ride our bikes, there are quite likely to be scraped knees. But then we learn, right? We move on, we develop and grow into maturity. Instead of feeling like part of God's family because we're told that it's true, we know it because we've experienced it for ourselves in our innermost being. Rubber has met the road. We may have some bruises here and there from when we made a poor choice, but we've learned, we've grown, we've grasped from real-life experiences that God will never leave us or forsake us. This, then, becomes a cornerstone of our maturity in Christ's love. We belong. We are fully accepted as God's mature kids, living in the center, not the outside, and not on the sidelines. So, let's get practical. First, I'd like to challenge you to read Romans 8 every day this week, or at least a few times over the week. How about checking out different translations every time? The YouVersion Bible app has many, or you can go to BibleGateway.com and check out um, some from there. There's dozens available. You can try the Passion Translation or the Voice for contemporary wording that can snap verses like these into some kind of fresh focus. Second, think about your identity as a mature child of God. What childish thoughts and attitudes do you kind of need to grow out of? What responsibilities and privileges are you ready to embrace? Maybe you're not ready to be a mature child of God. Maybe you're not even ready to be a mature human being. Or maybe you're a new believer or someone who's still standing outside that window and looking in. In either case, I encourage you to take one step toward growth this week. Maybe that's asking questions about being adopted into God's family, which is the same thing as being born again. Maybe it's eating some spiritual baby food. Maybe it's taking off your training wheels and taking a chance on tipping that bike and getting a skinned knee. Be intentional about growing. And finally, spend time in prayer. Thanking God for setting you free from religious duty for adopting you, for making you his heir. Ask him to help you embrace your identity of being his mature child. 
Let's bow in prayer together now. My most precious, beloved Father, I come to you today with a new sense of awe and thankfulness for everything you have done for me. Thank you that I am not on the outside looking in. Thank you that I am not on the sidelines, some kind of afterthought or bench warmer where I'm sort of acceptable but really not that good. Thank you that I am your dearly loved and treasured child, fully accepted into the center of your family. Father, as we go from here today, please help us to rest in our identity in you. Thank you for the immense privilege of being your adopted child. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.